You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 118, and we are going to talk about the 1986 film Something Wild. We watched it on Amazon Prime. It is free right now if you have a subscription. The director is Jonathan Demi, who also did Silence of the Lambs in 91, Philadelphia in 93, and Rachel Getting Married in 2008. It stars Jeff Daniels, Melanie Griffith, Tracy Walter, John Waters. Oh, and it's the film debut of Ray Liotta. The DP is Tak Fujimoto, who worked on Star Wars, the original one, I'll say from my age. Number four, A, a New Hope. And in 99, he did a six, The Sixth Sense. And in 91, he, well, 91, he did Silence of the Lambs. And then in 99, he did The Sixth Sense. The writer is E. Max Fry. He also did Band of Brothers in 2001 and Foxcatcher in 2014. And I am going to jump ahead to a little bit of trivia because the script found its way into the hands of Jonathan Demi while the screenwriter was still in film school and Demi committed to it within 24 hours of reading it. I thought that was good trivia place there. Let's see. The synopsis for this film is a free-spirited woman, quote-unquote, kidnaps a yuppie for a weekend of adventure, but the fun quickly takes a dangerous turn when her ex-convict husband shows up. The tagline for this is something different, something daring, and something dangerous. What do you think? So I think that tagline works great. <laughs> works good. Uh, I forgot to state that Dustin Morrow and Lisa Molinelli are back with us for this third week. So you guys, what do you think of that tagline? Does it fit? I mean, taglines are so <laughs> tough. I mean, they're just, there've been like, what, three or four good ones in film history. They're just, they're really. It's a marketing. They're really hard. I mean, it's hard to like, in space, no one can hear you scream is <laughs> is brilliant. And then that's kind of where it begins. Yeah, you'll believe a man can fly. That's a great one. Mm-hmm. There, just uh, aren't, there just aren't a lot of really Field great of lines. Dreams. Did they do, if you build it, they will come for Field is of that? Dreams? I don't think I'm so. I'm curious. That's just a memorable one. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe we need a page on the website that lists the taglines for the different films. <laughs> it's on. It's on every page. Okay. Every... Well, this is an assignment for a super fan to tell me which taglines <laughs> did I like. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going back and listening to all the episodes. So you're on your I'll own. I'll tell you my favorite one. It was for, this is from, it was a poll quote from a review and they used it as their <laughs> oh, like poster perfect. headline. Yeah, it was um, for the movie Fierce Creatures which was the movie that brought back the whole cast. Oh, John yeah. Cleese. called Wanda mm-hmm. yeah. together again. Kevin Klein. Pretty mediocre movie. But anyway, the, the the poll quote they used was, the critics agree the cast of A Fish Called Wanda is together again. <laughs> That's great. I mean, leave it to anything Python adjacent. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It's really hard, yeah. To, really hard to disagree with the critics <laughs> on, on that count. Yeah. All right, Mike, kick us off. What's the pickup line of Something Wild? Excuse me, can I get my check? Okay. And spoken by Charles, the character played by Jeff Daniels. Okay. He's sitting in that little cafe. Yeah, little dinery kind of thing. Right. Like a yeah, on the corner in New York City. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of looking around at the different patrons and 
it's like at that moment he decides he's going to try to dine and dash, I believe. Mm-hmm. And because he's apparently looking for something wild. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's such a straight laced mm-hmm. uh, rule following guy that this is the one thing he does in his life that makes him feel like a little bit of a rebel. That's how pathetic his character is at the beginning of mm-hmm. the movie by ducking out on a three dollar lunch check. So now remind me, do we see her see him make that choice? I don't think so. I can't remember. And there are plenty of shots of her. I think she does. I think she. I think she sees it, and because she follows him out and pretends to work for the restaurant and demand that he pay his check. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think we know what maybe what her intentions are a little bit. Oh, I mean, sort of. I mean, she's a. It's hard to imagine. I mean, we're jumping ahead, but like the the genius of this movie in some ways is that it is as much as we like to say occasionally about a movie. Oh, it was really unpredictable. I didn't know where it was going. This movie really, (laughs) really do not know where it is going. Almost from scene to scene, this movie feels like it could go anywhere. Well, and she misrepresents herself from the very, meaning Melanie Griffith misrepresents herself from the very beginning. Yeah. The first thing she does yeah. The reason that I ask is I was thinking um, to me, that's, I felt like I had a memory of her seeing. So it was almost like she found a mark mm-hmm. or she found, mm-hmm. oh, here's going to be my, my entertainment for the weekend. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. why I ask is because yeah, if we good... saw that, then we kind of know what her motivation is for then the rest of the movie. I think I'm just not smart enough to have picked up on that, but that's a good call. Well, it's unclear. At first, it seems like she's kidnapping him to have kind of a little sex romp for the you know take him to a hotel or even and, just mess with a straight it, guy yeah yeah and then it's sort of revealed later that she wants to she wants him to masquerade as her husband <laughs> to please her mother who's not fooled at all and then it, she wants to take him to this class reunion her high school class reunion so it just keeps unfolding and you're mm. always you're always kind of a little you're not totally sure what her game is yeah yeah Mm-hmm. So I had a music teacher when I was in middle school who said that with uh, music, the reason there are these motifs that repeated is because if if you repeated the same thing over and over, it'd be boring. But if you never repeated anything, it, the, the listener wouldn't know how to follow it and they would find it confusing. And you mentioned the word unpredictable. And I felt I think that's why I was confused by this film is because it was so unpredictable. I, I had a hard time with the characters understanding her motivations, but also his motivations, why he continued to go along with this. I mean, why he even went down this road in the first place, but with a woman of that unpredictable nature, why would he let her handcuff him to the headboard? <laughs> that seems like his character That's would be trust issues showing, well, but he, he would have been straight laced <laughs> and had trust issues is my argument. So um, as much as Melanie Griffith is fun, I had no clue what that character was up to in the film. But don't you think that she was, she was, because she took him to her mother and she was trying to impress her mother, look, it's my husband. And, and she was like, play along, you know, and then she took him to the class reunion. So I very much, that's her motive. She wants to appear normal in this sea and impress. I mean, we all have felt that. Well, maybe I'm showing my colors, but we all feel that when we go back to high school, like we're trying to impress those that we kind of grew up. That's why I drug you to the first one. I was like, look, everybody, I snagged one. Okay. (laughs) But if we, if we inverted that and Jeff Daniels had kidnapped her to take her someplace, 
we would say, oh, that guy's <laughs> up to no good, right? right. No. Not that Justin wants her at his reunion. So I guess that was for me is the Melanie Griffith character seems really felonious, right? And maybe that's the intent behind it. The character right. far beyond your manic pixie dream girl, yeah. right? She's kidnapping people and <laughs> stealing and all kinds of, uh, I think there's quite a bit of actual drinking while driving. Yep. So, yep. yeah. <laughs> like I said last week, the nightmare girl, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the dream girl. Not the yeah. <laughs> she's definitely, she's a darker take on the manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. So do you want to kick us off what kind of some of the things that yeah, you... Yeah, I mean, just to remind people that the 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 sequence of films we're looking at this month are uh, it's a, called the Yuppie Nightmare Cycle. It's a <laughs> cycle of films from the mid-80s about um, taking a, a straight-laced, yuppie, uh, white male character and basically sending him into hell, usually at the hands of a femme fatale uh, or some kind of variation on the Manic Pixie Dream Girl like we've talked about. And in this in this film, Jeff Daniels is uh, a businessman in New York, and he is uh, basically abducted by a very free spirit, kind of a, a bohemian nut job uh, played by uh, <laughs> Melanie Griffith, who takes him on a wild ride through New Jersey and then rural Pennsylvania, um, dragging him to see her mother, dragging him to her high school reunion. And then uh, Ray Liotta plays her ex-con husband who comes in and kind of hijacks the the movie he kidnaps melanie griffith and jeff daniels is in pursuit to try to rescue her um and that's the a kind of a nutshell recap of the plot but that doesn't tell you anything about how this movie <laughs> feels or how it plays from scene to scene which is very unpredictable and and fits very much with the other films in the yuppie nightmare cycle in the sense that it is a comedic movie, but is very edgy and kind of dark and feels a little dangerous and a little violent, especially by the end of this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We talked last week about tonal shifts or shifting genres in Into the Night, how it would be a screwball comedy in one scene. And then the next scene, it would be kind of like a almost a horror film or uh, a drama or something. And this movie is a, a film that has a much slower, but even more pronounced shift in mm -hmm. genres. This is a very much a screwball comedy at the very beginning. And at the end of this movie, if you are not like gripping the arm of your chair and scared out of your pants, then you don't have a, a beating heart because <laughs> it's it has a really visceral, violent, frightening scene at the end. Um, the climax of this movie is really terrifying and I would suspect is the thing that got Jonathan Demme, the job directing Silence of the Lambs, because it's a real masterpiece of, of tension. It plays, it reminds me of Blood Simple, the first movie by the Coen brothers, has this, this, this incredible fight scene in this, in this bathroom in, in suburban Long Island. Yeah. yeah it's, it, it's really great. Demme was a real master of, of, of tension. He's, he's famous for a lot of his comedies, like Married to the Mob, and, but, he, but he was a really great director of suspense silence of the lambs is the really obvious version of that but he also did a movie called rachel getting married which i think christy mentioned mm -hmm. at the yeah. beginning mm -hmm. which if you watch it it's a domestic drama but it really feels like a horror film it's a very mm -hmm. unsettling very tense mm -hmm. movie mm -hmm. very awkward very uncomfortable and he did a probably the most famous concert film in in history which was uh, a movie called stop making sense the, about the talking heads right. 
kind of at the height of their fame. And that actually is a really interesting, it's shot like no other concert movie that you can think of. There's a, and it was, I think it's in the Criterion collection even, which is really unusual for a concert film. He never shows you the audience. And the effect of that is to almost feel like you feel alternately like you're either on the stage in the band or like you're not being given the release of experiencing a concert in the way that you would otherwise, which is experiencing it with other people, with a crowd, by isolating the crowd from the audience. It's a very strange film, and it feels weirdly tense when you're watching it. Hmm. I'm pretty sure I rented that on VHS back in the day, and that explains why I was like, this is a weird concert film. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was not what I was thinking. Because in that era, I, again, yeah. I don't know if folks were around for that, but that was a big deal. Concert, full-length concert on video yeah. Were, yeah. were a thing. You would watch all your favorite bands. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely something unpredictable. Yeah. And there were always clips of adoring audience members. Right. right? Like yeah. looking right. at the band. Mm -hmm. And that movie gives you none of that. I mean, it helps that it's David Byrne and yeah. Talking Heads and they were an art pop band and they yeah. did weird things. It's the That's the movie where we all know the the sort of famous, the big suit yeah. that mm -hmm. he wears. Like mm -hmm. that's, it, that's from Stop Making Sense. Stop mm -hmm. Making Sense is actually being re-released later this year by the A24 studio. They've restored it and they're putting it back in theaters, mm. which is really cool. Well, bringing us back to something wild and music, I mean, David Byrne is actually a part of this movie. The first song mm -hmm. in the movie in the opening credits is a David Byrne movie. I think David Byrne and somebody else maybe. Mm -hmm. but, um, he's a part of this too, so... And music's a big part of this movie. And this movie has one of the best soundtracks yeah, in the 80s, soundtrack. for sure. It's a very unusual, like we were just talking before we were recording, mm -hmm. uh, Mike was mentioning uh, Boingo Boingo and what a deep cut yeah. he used. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, not my slave for those of you who are Boingo fans at oh. home. It's a deep cut, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also got a ton of world music. There's a lot of music yeah. from the Caribbean in this movie. Yeah. It famously ends with Sister Carol, who's a legendary reggae artist from Jamaica, performing a, a version of Wild Thing. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, and she actually performs it to camera. She plays a waitress, mm -hmm. and then and she sort of comes out on the sidewalk at the end of the movie and plays a scene and then stays in the sidewalk yeah. to perform this song to the camera. It's a very bizarre and a totally charming way to end the film. Well, and it opened with, my note said, three minutes of just exteriors of New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which again is very uh, a unique choice, right? You don't often see that many exteriors. And you know what's funny about that to me? Something I realized this time when I was watching the movie. I've seen this movie a few times, and I always think of it as this cool downtown New York in the '80s movie. But it actually takes place very little in New York. City. Right. Mm -hmm. You yeah. leave New York City almost immediately, mm -hmm. and you go on this New Jersey Pennsylvania road trip. It reminds me a little. I mean, After Hours is all we talked about After Hours a couple weeks ago. Um, that's all in New York, but it is this journey of like the yuppie guy kind of going into the underworld. And there's the same, there's a similar journey maybe for Jeff Daniels leaving the city and going into like a rural area and a place he doesn't know very well. And he's sort of, I don't know, he's descending into the underworld too. Not really, but it's a, it's a, it's a similar like being whisked away. From well, I've heard, too. I've heard Fran Lebowitz say this and I've heard Woody Allen say this, like mm -hmm. two diehard New Yorkers yeah. say that for them, the experience of going into rural yeah. spaces is really terrifying. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because I think for a lot of us, especially 
people like myself who grew up in a very small town, a very mm-hmm. rural small town, like the big city is scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. The city is a scary space. But if you are, all you know is the city, I can understand how the wide open, dark spaces of the country might be yeah. kind of terrifying. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if there's something to that. I mean, he is almost immediately whisked away from the city to Jersey, of all places. And oh, yeah. then Pennsylvania, oh, yeah. right? Yep. I'm a New Yorker, so to me, that's like, oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I thought a lot about that this time, but it almost, it's almost not in New York at all. Like, there's very little of it that takes place. So, what did mm-hmm. you guys make of the, the kind of changing of the genre? Did you feel at any point where, like, by the end of the movie, you were like, oh, this is not a comedy. It's a thriller. Do you I remember feeling that? Oh, I yeah. I, I mean, I would go beyond. I would say it felt like it, it, it went from, yeah, your your comedy, perhaps even a romantic comedy. And the first third, in the middle, I felt like it went more into suspense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the end, I, I don't know if I would even thriller, but maybe that's a good term for it. But just the, the, the violence in the fight, it felt even more almost like a crime like a almost it could be a mob film, just, not just because Ray Liotta's in there, but just the the a, amount of conflict and how long that fight went on, right? So that was more than just oh my gosh something happened. That was minutes of of rolling around. So it very much yeah definitely tonally, but it felt like it was a, a like a smooth trans not maybe not smooth but it was a a consistent through line a transition. Mm-hmm. It didn't pop back around. It felt like no. it just slowly evolved. But I do vividly remember a moment like near the end of the film, like, wait a second, what just happened? Because this was Melanie Griffith drinking bourbon in the convertible. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. where, how did we get yeah, here? We get up here. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, I, I didn't really notice because, <laughs> well, I'll just admit, I have trust issues too. <laughs> so when she started to take him, I didn't feel like, woo, let's just have a fun weekend. She was up to something. So I was suspicious of her kind of from the beginning and Mm -hmm. how far is she going to ruin his life kind of. And then it's interesting watching it today, knowing Ray Liotta's iconography, even though this was his first film. So had I seen it then, but it was like when he shows up, like, oh, yeah, now things are going to go really bad because yeah. he's usually a bad guy, you know. It's hard to separate so, yourself from the iconography yes. of Ray Liotta, but if you can kind of try to, I think he's still, even if you didn't know anything about him, I think you still get this feeling of, like, this is a terrifying guy mm-hmm. as a razor. Mm-hmm. Like, I, think he's, I, I think he's amazing and super serious. Mm-hmm. I, I would say this is one of the best performances Mm-hmm. of the 80s by an actor like that's how good he is in this he's so yeah. frightening and unstable it doesn't you don't feel like you're watching a guy act it feels like a real guy <laughs> like yeah it i think feels that right. dangerous yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i mean yeah and that scene there's a scene in a diner yeah. where leota has kind of abducted uh the melanie griffith character and they are eating in this roadside diner Mm -hmm. and they don't know that jeff daniels has been kind of following them for you know 100 miles looking for a moment where he might have an advantage and be able to rescue the melanie griffith character and he they they go to this diner and some police come in and sit in the booth next to leota who is an ex-con who has violated his parole who has robbed a liquor store and done some other horrible things and Jeff Daniels realizes this is his chance. And so he goes in and he sits in the booth 
and it's some of the best dialogue you'll ever hear. It's just an amazing, tense, funny, surprising scene. And the things that Leota does as an actor in that scene are just a masterclass in mm-hmm. kind of playing a scene at, for both laughs and tension. Mm-hmm. Really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember hearing that Arlie Ermey was cast as a drill instructor because he was on set as, as a like consultant. a technical consultant. And they're like, oh, well, you embody this. I felt like Ray Liotta brought that energy to this ex-con. <laughs> where if I hadn't known, I'd be like, holy crap. They, yeah. they found they some guy found an ex-con. Yeah. A New Jersey like ex-con on the roadside. And they yeah. said, you look dangerous and sketchy. Yeah. Get over here. Because he really did. And in that scene you're referring to, I, I really felt like a lot of it was not with his dialogue. It was the energy and his facial expressions where... You very much saw this guy who he he really wanted to kill that Jeff Daniels character. Yeah. But he knew the cops were right there. And so that tension came through. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. I remember Mm -hmm. some of that Ray Liotta tension striking me when they're waiting in the um, convertible outside the convenience store having a a, supposed to be like a real amiable conversation. And Jeff Daniels is kind of reclining and Ray Liotta is kind of leaning over him and like patting him on the stomach or on the chest. Mm -hmm. And it just was Exposing your underbelly, Jeff Daniels. It was just like, you know, and they're just like having a nice guy's chat, but you can, you know, but it's that look Ray Liotta gives that, that what he's emanating. Yes. Yes. I love all the roadside cafe. I mean, that just adds to the flavor and the texture. So much roadside motels that they stay in and the the little like gift shop that he goes in to buy like shorts and a shirt. And I'll take this and I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. I need a new pair of shorts. And he's like stripping in the store and the clerk's like, dude, keep it together. (laughs) (laughs) But I think even her mom's house had that, if I recall, yes. she had that sense yeah, of very, very kitschy, kitschy kind mm-hmm. of. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I don't know if that's realistic or not for wherever they were supposed to be. But obviously, it it's not it. not uh, Philadelphia, right? Yeah. But, uh, but I don't I know actually, what part of Pennsylvania that would be. Yeah, I went to school in central Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. And um, I don't know. It, it made me think a lot about the times I've spent okay. road tripping in the Northeast and mid-Atlantic and Pennsylvania. I don't know. It, it, it seemed true to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's amazing when you said it's some of the best dialogue and that was written by a film student, you know, so yeah, yeah. that's awesome that yeah. there can be gems even when you're starting yeah. out. Every film student's dream to have your script right? discovered by Jonathan mm-hmm. Demme and turned into a In movie that hours, goes into says, the Criterion collection and becomes oh a classic. Yeah. Well, now amazing. I'm going to flip that around, though, and say, could that be like M. Night Shyamalan where... When you start out of the gate really good, there's nowhere to go but down, right? So uh, maybe that set an unrealistic expectation for this. What else did this screenwriter go on? Did he do other stuff um, that we know? Ba- oh, yeah. Band of, Band of Brothers. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Box yeah, yeah. Right. All right. So he didn't go down. He, he stayed. Right. Kept his altitude. Well. Good job. <laughs> Box catchers, Pennsylvania. Yes. yes. I don't know anything about this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I love the guest genes. I love throughout all of these movies you chose, like revisiting the 80s was really fun. All the costumes, but I loved Audrey's guest genes. Well, <laughs> now I'm going to ask a question here because I'm not quite the haberdasher, but how popular were thigh high stockings in 1986? That's that seems- a really good question. I wasn't old enough to do the thigh high stocking thing, but I did notice her. I don't know, Christy, do you mm-hmm. 
No, I don't remember wearing them. Or I think I, I, to me that reads as like she's a femme fatale. I yeah. Guess. Right. Yeah. And I, I noted, I thought, because I was thinking a lot about clothing in this movie too, how she transforms, especially mm-hmm. Melanie Griffith and mm-hmm. Jeff Daniels too, transforms herself completely. Right. She's basically all black from head to toe. Her hair, right. her her dress, her thigh high stockings. I think too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she like slowly, not even slowly, actually, she just her hair is bleached. Her dress is white. Um, and of course, that you just talked about Jeff Daniels changing in the convenience store. He changes clothes several times too, right? Mm-hmm. He goes from his, um, you know, uptown suit. corporate mm-hmm. suit mm-hmm. to kind of a wacky um, retro Tourist. suit, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, to, to the retro suit that he wears for the oh, um, yeah, yeah, for the uh, the reunion, reunion, yeah. mm-hmm. and then then I think it's the tourist outfit. I think that might be the thing. He, well, no, yeah. that at the end they both have interesting outfits. And it's interesting because at the reunion, I just watched this trailer. I think she's wearing like a denim dress, which is pretty like kind of, you know, the mom jeans. Is like it a that's gingham, very... maybe? I thought it was. Yeah, it's like a white. Um, oh, is it? I thought it was okay. like a white sundress, almost an eyelet. Kind of a very oh, like virginal okay. almost yes. kind yes. of a dress. Which I think she was trying to put yeah. on. Yeah, oh, I think so. Yeah. Now, you asked about her hair when we were yeah, watching because it. <laughs> I have a little bit of experience with bleaching for oh, yeah. uh, my, my beard every Christmas. And I think it would take her hours to get from that black to that and blonde. And I said, Mike, it was a wig. I'm pretty sure. And he was yeah, like, it was yeah, a wig. Yeah, it was a wig. <laughs> and yeah. he goes, really? <laughs> I hope it was. I think you're right that it would take her forever. Right. It was a wig. Yeah. Well, but oh, it may have been a wig for Melanie, but was it a wig for Audrey? Yes. yes. I think it was. Yes. I think it's, okay. I think it's too fast to trans. Yeah. I think it's too fast. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and she wears she she's a costumer in a way, right? Yeah, very much costuming herself to look different. Well, that's interesting because I talked to a, a costumer about films, and they say that now most films they source, they don't make the costumes anymore, hmm. and so that's why they all love period pieces because that's the one time where they really get to to show their stuff. And I thought. Did the customer read the script and think, oh boy, this one's going to be fun. Right? <laughs> yeah, because uh, especially when you talk about something where they're going, let's say on a road trip, you would think same, same outfit. Give me eight of those t-shirts, eight of those jeans, and then you're done. Mm-hmm. So this character was fun probably, I would think, oh, for yeah. the costume department because she did have all of those crazy things going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. What Did, did you, you like this movie? I did. You I did. liked this one. Yeah. I mean, it still gave me that same... Anxiety because I kept. Oh yeah! If you don't oh, yeah. get that, you're not. Again, you're not a beating, heart beating person. You're, you're a, it, I just it should. It, it's it's designed to slowly close a vise around you, mm-hmm. right? It's a movie that, like Mike was saying, it just gets slowly more tense, almost to the point where you you're not even noticing it until the right. end of the movie. You're like, oh, I'm in a horror film. Now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Very much. I wanted you know, kind of like with after hours, just go home, like just leave and go home. <laughs> but he had nowhere to go. I just right? going to say that yeah. I, it just, oh. it occurred. Like when we were talking about why is he even doing what he's doing? I don't think you start to realize it until you find out his real circumstances. Um, and I don't know. I don't want to spoil. Oh, you well, can yeah, spoil. The movie, we spoil. Okay. okay we spoil. Yeah. He, you think at the beginning of the movie, he's got this great balanced family yeah, wife and, kids. and then you find out, no, That's his right. wife his has left wife has him and destroyed. taken the kid yeah. and he has, he doesn't even have any furniture in his yep. house. I mean, he's really living in, he's yeah. a depressed, much like the Goldblum yeah. character in Into the Night. He's yeah. a very depressed. So I think that really, tell, once you figure that yeah. out, you're like, oh, it kind of, to me, it was yeah. like, oh, now it makes sense why he's letting this all happen to him. 
And plus, the obvious place to, for him to go home is once Ray Liotta shows up and kidnaps her and they leave, right? And he's he's basically, Ray Liotta's beaten the pus out of him and he but gives him the opportunity to leave. Like the Lulu character talks her way into, talks Ray Liotta into allowing him to be let go. Mm-hmm. But instead he follows them, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the turning point for his character. And his character actually has a really great arc. I think in the movie of like kind of discovering like the title as something wild Mm -hmm. inside of him that he thinks that he's he's this depressed guy with nothing going for him at the beginning of the movie. And by the end, he's the hero. He becomes very brave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And you mentioned I'd forgotten about the lack of furniture in his house at the end, his Long Island suburban house, Yeah, which makes it even creepier and more tense in that house when they're fighting all over the place. I don't know. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. just thought that was a cool. What did you think of Melanie Griffith in this movie? Um, I, my kind of overwhelming uh, impression of her in general is a little bit kooky, a little bit cuckoo, right? And so in this film, I really felt like uh, she delivered on that kind of femme fatale. And in some sense, she wasn't a lot of Melanie Griffith. She was more Audrey. And I think that worked. I think sometimes she can, her personality may becomes ahead of the role. So I thought that worked. I I actually, that was a more believable character, even though I still didn't know her motivations. I felt like that landed pretty well. His character, he all saw a different movie than I did, I think, because (laughs) I didn't respond to his character like that at all. It didn't make any sense to me why he was doing the things he was doing. Yeah, you kept saying right. that. Why doesn't he just leave? Why but I saw her, I thought she did a great job as a con artist. you learn that his life is completely empty yeah. and that he has this horrible well, sort of opinion of himself. And As Lisa was talking, I was saying, okay, well, I kind of see your point. Maybe that puts it in a different light. But as I watched the film, that didn't it didn't land for me, that character. Even though now that you bring it up, I'm like, yeah, I was aware of that reveal when he doesn't have the wife and kid. Because that was why... Um, that was kind of the tension that was set up earlier. Like, why would this guy go with this woman? Like, what if his wife finds out that he's mm-hmm. drinking bourbon and having sex in the afternoon, right? right? So that, there's that. I kind of got that. But I, I, I like the look of this film and kind of you mentioned mood and style, mm-hmm. all those things. I just, the story left me very confused. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't didn't connect with it, I think. That's fair. I just was thinking about that moment when she finally learns, when Melanie Griffith finally learns that he doesn't have a wife and she's at him for like not for not having a wife and right. for lying to her even though she's been she's lying to him I, I just thought it was such a funny moment uh-huh. she was so angry um, i just yeah. think she's an she's an interesting actress because i think unless you use her in the right part she can be really really bad mm-hmm. right like that i could think of a, a number of really terrible melanie griffith movies <laughs> and they're they're part of the reason they're terrible is because she's just not the right fit for that part but kind of like what mike mm-hmm. was saying she has kind of a natural kooky mm-hmm. almost old school um like a carol lombard, like mm-hmm. a carol yeah. lombard yeah. thing mm-hmm. and yeah and like she really works in like De Palma's body double and she's very good in mike nichols working girl mm-hmm. but i feel like this is the the quintessential mm-hmm. melanie griffith performance like was- this this is the movie that of all movies really understood what she can do as an actor right. and, and used it the best. Now, maybe I'm off kilter here, but I think she probably, she, I get the feeling that she's a lot like that as a person hmm. that the, the, the human would be a little kooky, right? <laughs> Not just in her roles. So uh, to me, 
the the title of something wild, I think there may have been stories from during production because that kind of character it could be could be fun, a little bit of spice to life, or it could also be very challenging. Oh yeah, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder is that why they put her in the black wig so that we? I don't know what she did before this, but I think Working Girl was probably after it was after yeah. after this, and so. When she was Audrey, she reminded me very much of her character in yeah. Working Girl because yeah. she was a little bit more straight-laced in her hair and everything. That's kind of iconic hair, so I agree with you. And when she had the black hair, yeah. I'm trying to think who she reminded me of, but she very right. much... I guess that's where I got the concern for him <laughs> because as Audrey, she just seemed very sweet and mm-hmm. she was struggling. She wanted to impress other people. And so she felt less than, but when she had the black hair, she was like kind of putting on that costume to try to bolster her own confidence so mm-hmm. that she could kind of, I don't know, take advantage of people. Cause like when she yeah. took him into the restaurant and sat down and it's like, it's okay, I've got money. And then she left. Right. And I think she did have money cause she stole from somebody. So she oh, could have yeah. paid that bill, yeah. but yeah, she, she left. Just did it to she mess wanted with to make him. him yeah. Pushing yep. to do, which is yeah. where I probably about the time where I wrote down that she deserves a throat punch <laughs> from Don Budgie. <laughs> but that's another case where you would leave, right, when someone's framed. But that was interesting. I don't know. I'll get your take on it. If you thought at that time not taking a credit card was, I, I mean, I don't remember a lot of restaurants that didn't yeah, take remember, some form of a credit card. But they were very specific. I remember. Like if you had a MasterCard, yeah, and Diners be, Club or right, something or like that. Not everybody took Diners Club. Not right. everybody took American Express. Remember, there was like, I mean, now everybody takes your phone, right? <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. It was a was, little more specific. There were like signs that said what you took as you went yeah. in, yeah. and if you didn't have that card, either yeah, you had cash know. or don't eat right. there. There's still yeah. cash only restaurants. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, especially in New York, you, there's some places I'm sure that will not run your car. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you're gonna have to work harder than that if you're gonna find a detail to nitpick <laughs> in this narrative. Were there any clocks in this movie, Mike? Oh, <laughs> really? You're gonna go there? That was like my that was my most proud moment was when my movie passed the clock. Mike's clock test. Oh, okay, that's huge. It up. Yeah, I know. I do bring it up, and I will mention for the the listeners, not viewers. Listeners, in an upcoming episode, clocks will return. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in next oh, week. Yeah, big yeah. Time. Yeah. I, I don't think it's next clock week, talk. but yeah, in the next month, more <laughs> clock talk. Oh, that might be a new segment. Rhymes and everything. <laughs> okay, did we miss anything? Because this, I liked this movie. This is a good run. All right, Mike, head trauma. <laughs> uh, well, the only listed one I have is at one thirty-six. Ray throws Audrey over the bed and into the wall. So we mentioned this is a fairly violent film in the back mm-hmm. third, and, and Audrey does not escape unscathed. Right. And a smoochie. Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. Uh, so I have at 1130. <laughs> should we pause? <laughs> I can grab the one from yeah. the <laughs> uh, Audrey mouth assaults Charles after she's robbed the liquor store. <laughs> and I wrote literally mouth assaults because she doesn't just kiss him. She goes after she him goes like our dog it. gives us kisses. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I know there's a lot of driving review. I even have notes right. for driving. Oh. Yeah. Well, um, so first of all, the choice of the 67 Pontiac GTO convertible 
says that she's wild, okay. right? The GTO was the original muscle car. That was certainly not a vehicle you would expect a young woman to drive. I did mention before, she literally drinks while driving. Mm-hmm. Not at all a good uh, good role model. Yeah. Oh, no. um, and so does the Ray Liotta character. But see, that makes a little bit more sense. He's yeah. an ex-con. Yeah. He flies in the face of convention. Laj Schmaz. Uh, so car casting is a little bit off. The hoodlums who cast call Audrey are in a Honda Accord. It doesn't seem like that's those kind of folks would be in a Honda. <laughs> but then we'll notice as she, she starts trading in these vehicles, right? Because uh, then she goes to a, a Pontiac Catalina convertible, but she sticks to the convertibles. And then there's um, that Cadillac DeVille that Ray drives is a wonderful car for shooting a movie because it's huge, right? Uh, a lot of room for the actors to roll around. Huh. I did enjoy the uh, old-fashioned light bar on the police cruiser, our younger listeners may not remember back in the day when it was actually a bar with two lights on it. And it now, of course, I think they're all internal. And my last note was the 86 Mazda GLC wagon is not the best chase vehicle, but you go with what you got. <laughs> I'm enjoying all this car talk, this stuff that I just don't <laughs> clock very well in movies. So very fun. Well, this stuff. one of the things I, I talk to the layperson about is how uh, costuming is there for a purpose that's telling a story too, right? Everybody on the film, including the costume department, is is telling the story and they're involved and they're making conscious choices. And done well, your automotive choice is also part of that. It's part of the sets in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Part of the, the, the costuming. And I think sometimes though you see films where that's not the case, where probably due to budget, they're just like, okay, uh, PA has a Honda, come here. <laughs> um, and I get that from a filmmaking perspective, but done well, and as we talked about, in films that are set anywhere around L.A., it really is a part of, part of the setting. Yeah. Fascinating. I know Mike's a car guy, so that explains that. But which one of you is really into head trauma? <laughs> um, so a comedian that I follow has a theory that if you watch a trailer and there is head trauma within the first 30 seconds of the trailer, it's not going to be a good film. And it made it into the podcast because I believe the reason that holds true Mm -hmm. is because it's a cheap gag. And so that's why I started talking about it in films, because uh, sometimes filmmakers will rely on the head trauma for a cheap gag, whether it's for a laugh. I mentioned throat punching became popular (laughs) with Identity Thief. I I threw that in the same realm. And the uh, other is easy to raise the stakes. So if somebody gets punched, who kind of, okay, they get punched in the gut, but if they get hit in the head with something, it it's an easy way to raise the stakes. And then just to f- flush out all of our little categories that we do at the end, since I met him, if there is a kiss in a film, he says, smoochy, smoochy, smoochy. Uh-huh. <laughs> what are you, 12? <laughs> <laughs> she is actually, I think, is selling me either short or long. I don't know which. I don't think it's been my entire life. No, since, I, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Since I've known him. <laughs> I don't even know if that's accurate. Look, if, if he's been doing it since you knew him, then he was doing it when he was 12. <laughs> so much so that our children would catch him sometimes and he'd go they would text me we'd be watching a movie and they'd text me 
dad didn't say it this time. And then sometimes he would like, there'd be a delay or he would do it. And so it's become like our children are aware that family you say it. I don't think you even read. It's like a, it's like a reflex. You see a kiss and you just say it. Okay. So let's put Mike on the couch here. (laughs) What is source of your discomfort with displays of affection oh, no, on screen. Oh, we oh, celebrate. No, it's a celebration. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. he nice. loves love. And so, and usually, you know, they happen in the third act. It's, you know, because he watches right. mostly romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. And that's kind that's of. That's my jam. That's the triumphant finale is the two get together. Mm-hmm. So what does he say if there's a full on sex scene? I don't have anything. <laughs> I need to get one, though. <laughs> you might do your little. Oh, the, the <laughs> what? I don't. I always sound like I'm. Oh, the purr, yeah. 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 Like yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. If I do it, I just sound like I'm clear. That seems like a good candidate. He goes, yeah. That's odd. Yeah. <laughs> Every time there's a sex scene, Mike clears his throat. <laughs> that would totally be worthy of that some couch be, time. That would be very confusing. Tell yeah. me about your mother. You would have some things to work out. Yeah. Plus, I just love adding sound effects, so I have to yeah, find right. things. There right. you go. It's my, you know, I wish I was part of a morning zoo or something, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad we were able to go behind the scenes. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 You're welcome. Yeah. For all your listeners. <laughs> all right, Shell. We go to the numbers. <laughs> Let's right. go to the numbers. Okay. Um, I could not find a budget for this one either. Um, I don't know if they just weren't reporting or what, but um, IMDb gave it a 6.9 out of 10. Critics loved it at 91%. And this is a pretty big difference, I would say, with audiences. They gave it 69%. So the critics... It's, an, it's a weird movie. All these are they're cult movies. And as we know, cult movies, some people are not going to like them. Right. Otherwise, they would be mainstream hits. Not cult movies. Right. We yeah. probably wouldn't remember it. Yeah. Also, it's just under two hours at hour 54. It's rated R. And it is, uh, I think I maybe already said this, it's comedy crime romance. And back to the budget, though, it did make $8.3 million, And adjusted for inflation today, that would be like $20 million. I have a super fan. RJ likes the adjusted for inflation budget number. So we do that just for him. Helps me to <laughs> get a yeah, sense yeah, of what like, that really means. Yeah. It's Relegosio Primavita Studio. Mm. I've never heard of that. Mm. Ray Liotta won. <laughs> Sounds the, like a Harry Potter spell. <laughs> it does. Ray Liotta won the Best Supporting Actor Award at the Boston Film Society, uh, or the Boston Society of Film Critics Award. Melanie Griffith was nominated for her performance, and Jeff Daniels and Ray Liotta won uh, for Best Performance at the Golden Globes that year. So That's cool. Yeah. All right, everybody, we got one more for this month. We are going to be talking about Miracle Mile next week and join us. And don't forget to go back and listen to the first one because you will have the the gift of knowing what the theme is, as well as you will hear about Dustin and Lisa's credentials and, and their bios. But never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies.